So, Jamie, look, it's 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 looking bad, and there's not been a lot of news in the last couple of weeks, and you know that's how we make our money. Obviously, you know, reporting on the news. It's kind of our USP, isn't it? We, we... Yeah, kind of, kind of the USP. So we need to switch things up a little bit. We need to do something a bit different. So I thought, what if we combine two elements of the podcast, two things we've done in the past, the obviously the usual Brainwaves cast and Idle Thoughts, and call it Idle Waves. Idle Waves. Idle Brains? Or Brain Thoughts. Brain Thoughts. <laughs> These are, these, these are lots of good thoughts. ideas, Ian. These are lots of good ideas. Um, I, mm, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of this like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or Tiger of Money, depending on which part of the world you live in. Interesting idea. How about we keep them separate, but very occasionally on a drought like this week or fortnight even, we combine them to give the listeners worth. That sounds like a, a a fine plan. Should we just get on with it? I think we'd better get on with it. And my name is Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister. And this is Brainwaves episode 91, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 7th of February 2022. Folk are on the move as Wizards gets a new CEO and Snowbite Studios gets a new COO. And say Aiello to a new US distributor. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. With the boom in digital tabletop gaming, Wizards of the Coast invested heavily over the last couple of years in that side of their business, going so far as to creating a new section of the company to deal with their digital offering. We reported a little while ago that Chris Cox was leaving Wizards of the Coast to run Hasbro, and that the transition will take place on the 25th of February. Replacing him as President of Digital and Gaming at Wizards of the Coast will be Cynthia Williams. Williams has been at Microsoft for about three and a half years as general manager and vice president, most recently of the gaming ecosystem commercial team, whatever that means. Cox said of his incoming replacement, Cynthia brings a deep understanding of technology and e-commerce along with cloud and console-based gaming. She has a proven track record across both Microsoft and Amazon of scaling businesses to drive profitable growth. That isn't the only change in the digital gaming section of Wizards, though. Tim Fields will be joining as Senior Vice President and General Manager of Digital Gaming. He has 26 years in the video game business, most recently as CEO of mobile gaming studio Kabam Games. Congratulations to everyone moving around and getting new jobs. As the article that we got this story from says, this is the second time in six years that Hasbro, owners of Wizards of the Coast, has gone to Microsoft in order to find a executive position. Now, two times in six years is not entirely noteworthy, but it's worth a wee look at and go, oh, interesting, interesting relationship that they have. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft are an incredibly big player in computer games, obviously. They recently bought Activision Blizzard. Uh, that was a big bit of uh, computer gaming news in the last couple of weeks. Uh-huh. And yeah, I can see them taking on more of that kind of talent, Wizards taking on more of that kind of talent as they want to increase their digital offering. And remember, we have speculated before that 6th edition D&D is very likely to have a larger digital component when it comes into being. And we talked about that recently on our last on stage with Gaz and Baz from the Smart Party. Seamless plug there, Ian. I liked it. That's why I'm a professional. <laughs> I, on the other hand, am an idiot. Now, <laughs> on the subject of new appointees to executive positions, TKers is a well-known member of the global board game community and was most recently involved with Haba USA 
as the game's channel manager. Well, now they're heading to Snowbright Studios as chief operations officer and co-founder. Snowbright Studios is a Cleveland, Ohio-based LGBTQ plus studio with a couple of games to its name, including the RPG Tea Time Adventures and the computer game Time Tales. Cares said of the move, I've always strongly believed that making and playing games should be about people. Making games, the business of making games, should focus on the people that are doing the making and the playing, not the financial bottom line. Gaming is really about the people playing games and the experience they have while playing. Very fair enough. Interesting new uh, move from T, and I hope they're very happy there. And I can't wait to see what Snowbright Studios will produce. Back in episode 86, we reported on how... Back in episode 86, we reported on how Aiello was splitting from its US arm. They have now settled on a new US and Canadian distributor in the form of Flat River Group. We are thrilled to collaborate with Flat River Group, says Cedric Barba, managing director of Aiello. We've known Matt Stalin, president of Flat River Group, for a long time. FRG's high ambitions for our flagship King of Tokyo and Bunny Kingdom lines by Richard Garfield convince us that we share the same vision and strategy. I forgot that Richard Garfield uh, designed Bunny Kingdom. It's good to see that ELO has a new distributor. Um, King of Tokyo is awesome. The King of Tokyo is great. I can't wait for, I guess it's currently called King of Monster Island, which is the third game in the trilogy that's maybe coming out this year, or Essenspieler 2022 will have more information revealed about it. I can't remember. I'm going to guess it's going to be out of Gen Con. Gen Con. Oh, I guess Aiello being a French company might be Essen. Probably probably both. That's the very quick headlines. And now on to the rest of the news. Or the single piece of news. During the annual Tata Steel Chess Tournament, sometimes referred to as the Chess Wimbledon by big chess heads like you and me, you know, you know what I'm like, all about that, all about that chess, the, the old black and white squares, the, the way you can never remember how that little horsey thing moves and the, the prawns. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the best, well, the man who, some people consider the best chess player in the world, Magnus Carlsen, was played to a draw. Now, that is not uncommon in the world of chess tournaments. You do, however, play uh, an uneven number of games in order to produce a, you know, a fair result where somebody actually might win. This matchup was notable, as Carlsen is currently trying to reach an ELO of 2,900 now, an Elo is named after Arpad Elo, who is a Hungarian-American physics professor, and it is a system of calculating the relative skill levels of players in zero-sum games such as chess. It functions similar to the weighing system you might see in ranked computer games. And I realise I said weighing, but what I meant to say is... Waiting? waiting? Yeah, the weighting system. Okay. The system that gives players weight in the, in the rankings. Ah, the system that gives players weight in the rankings. Thank you, Ian, for clarifying that. In order to reach the lofty heights of 2,900, Carlson has to basically lose no games or have any game come to a draw. Quite a, quite a 
mighty feat, I think you could agree. During the tournament, Carlsen played Sergei Karzakin, a well-regarded chess player who was once the youngest grandmaster in history at 12 years and 7 months old. <sighs> I can't even remember what I was doing at 12 years old. Not a great deal. The current accolade, by the way, is held by Abhimanyu Mishra, who is 12 years and 4 months. When you get to that, it's, you know, those months really count against you. Karzakin played white in their match, which gave him uh, a more offensive advantage, which usually, when you play chess, leads to a more aggressive play. However, he opened because a lot of high-level chess play is all about learning, memorizing, and countering various openings. He opened with the Rui Lopez, or Spanish opening, uh, an opening set of moves that gives black much more defensive options. This led to a draw in their match. Shortly after the match, Karjakin tweeted, hashtag draw Magnus, hashtag say no to 2900. Now it's unclear if he was playing up to the crowd with this tweet or he intentionally took Carlson to the draw. So far, Carlson sits at 2865 LO rating. If he was just trying to hold him to the draw just to be annoying, that's a hell of a power move. Indeed it is. Let's go and have a wee relax anyway, Jamie, and chat about a couple of games we've played recently. So usually, folks, we do uh, an idle thoughts from time to time. We haven't had a chance to do a lot of that over the course of the pandemic because we haven't been playing an awful lot of board games. I started playing a lot more games uh, asynchronously through BGA's system, uh, Board Game Arena, which is an online virtual sort of tabletop that we've been using quite a lot uh, on the Jambrain HQ to play games. And I've been playing a bunch of different games with a few members of the community, including uh, Ian, who used to be on the cast, Adam, who I mentored uh, from Punchboard, uh, Punchboard Reviews, he's been doing a lot of great work recently, and Hal Duncan, who's the designer of Cryptid, and a new Cryptid is just about to come out. But we've been playing a bunch of different games, and I want to talk a little bit about Tapestry. Now, Ian, I know this is from Stonemaier Games, but apart from that, I know very little. Stonemaier Games, famous for games such as Viticulture, uh, Wingspan, and Scythe. Scythe. Yeah, big, big ones. Now, now tell, tell me about tell me about it. Tapestry was released in 2019. It's designed by Jamie Stegmeier. And oh, okay. It's got, got art by Andrew Bosley and Ron Brown. And it's basically, it builds itself as a civilization game. So it's got those elements that you'd expect in most civ games, you know, moving up sort of different development tracks like military, science, exploration, the 4X kind of genre. 4X standing for explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. exterminate. Am I right? Yeah, that's quite correct. So, so you've got this, um, uh, you've got this square board, and you've got like hexagonal space in the middle that are the territory that you'll be conquering if you want to go that route. But the core gameplay is basically moving up four different tracks around the side of the board, which are science, military, exploration, and technology. Okay. And you basically pay resources that you get over the course of the game to move up these tracks. And every time you move your little token up a track, it does something. You, you get resources or you get to build things. You have these little capital boards as well, which are like meant to represent your capital city that you can fill with uh, 
various in- income buildings or various big structures. And I'm sure if you if you go online and look at any pictures of tapestry, you'll see these big, colourful, weird buildings that look a bit like they're made out of like sort of plasticine or play-doh or something. They're a strange-looking thing. All, all sorts of strange different buildings that you can get by moving up these tracks. So that part of it is very much Civ 101. Like you're moving up different technology tracks, getting different getting different ways to manipulate the board. You military basically allows you to conquer bits of the board and gives you resources. Exploration allows you to unveil new lands and get new resources. Eventually be going into space if you get far enough at it. So so far it sounds, as you said, like a very basic civilization yeah. building game. Why would I want to play tapestry, say, rather than plucking a random game because i don't usually play those kind of civilization games um civilization a new dawn why do i want to play tapestry i'm not sure you would oh okay so the issue with uh, the issue i found with tapestry and i've played three games so far and i've only played it online so there might be a bit of disconnect with how the game works because i haven't played it in real life so you get the the other thing you have is these civilization cards which basically say what your civilization is for the start of the game. So you might be like architects, so you get more points based on how you build your capital city up. Or you might be uh, inventors, so you get more from doing tech things, etc., etc. You know, they're all, they're all different. Now, when Tapestry first released, there was a bit of complaint about balance in the game and different civilizations not being as strong as others. Now, balance is a tricky thing to talk about in gaming because it's not always what we think it is. And perfect balance is very hard and often not actually wanted. However, there was a... I believe the first expansion had a sort of, like, leveling off for some of the civilizations. So, like, when you play on Board Game Arena, some of the civs start with some points to compensate or start with some things. So there's some sort of compensation for the, the slightly not as good civilizations as far as people are concerned that does not seem to have fixed what i perceive perceive as tapestry's problems because one of the things that can happen over the course of the game is you can get more civs so you can like have like two or three of these civ cards all of which gain you point give you different ways to get points in the game so as you get more of them you get this sort of wind spiral thing that as you get more of them you get more points and you can do more things on the board and therefore you get more points and we've had some incredibly wide open games. Like one of our games, the last player had something like 80 points. The first person in first had over 400. Now, my my first question about hearing that is, how au fait was the person who won with 400 odd points with the game? Not really. When that you say not... Re- okay. Who'd played it a couple of times. I played it the same number of times as me. I came somewhere in the middle of those two games. And the next game... Sorry, one game he managed over 500, and the next game he managed like over 400. He won both of those, and the last player was in the 80 to 100, 150 region. Okay. And the rest of us were somewhere around the sort of 250 mark. But just that, there's a huge gap of points. Like, absolutely massive. I'm all for games with sort of dramatic twists and turns, but it's got this, Tapestry has this weird thing where it sort of sets itself up as a Civ game and it's got a slightly Euro-y kind of point system and slightly sort of sedate going up tracks kind of thing. And then it brings in these Civ cards and some of the tech cards as well that are just massive, weird combo things. And there's just these two very disparate parts of this game that makes it feel very, very strange. I'm going to probably play some more of it. We're going to probably go back to it. But it feels like... 
it's fine for like there there to be like an obvious winner close to the end and something like that but a lot of the time it was like halfway through the game you could see someone was just romping away with it and the multiple sieves thing just seems to really really break that game because <laughs> the the points differential is massive absolutely huge yeah it's a weird it's a very strange game we play more of it and i might write up a review at some point very odd tapestry it's strange i would take issue in with you saying we haven't been playing many games i think we've been playing a lot of games we've been playing a lot of games digitally that's true but we have been playing games and i think that's something yeah. that personally i forget i'm just like oh i'm playing playing a couple of games of i don't know double or or Biblios, for example, and I'm going, I'm just playing them, but I'm still playing these games. I'm still yeah. interacting with people. I might not be doing it physically, and I stare at my shelves and go, oh, I haven't picked up most of you in a long time. Why do I still have you? And then I go, okay. That's true. I know why. Because, you know, global pandemics and various other things. Tell, tell, tell me of a game you've been thinking about, Jamie. Game that I've been really enjoying that we've been playing digitally through Board Game Arena is the game Marrakesh. Now, Marrakesh is was initially released in 2007, designed by Dominique Earhart. Setting is Marrakesh, and most points wins. You play as, well, you all control a little man called Assam, who's going about a square board, and you roll the dice, it's one to four spaces, he will move. Before you move him, you can move him. You can rotate him in a direction. Thank you. Thank you. Before you roll the dice to move Assam, you can rotate him uh, to face left, forward, or right. Obviously, you roll the dice, then move. Then you must place a carpet. You all start with ten carpets. And quite simply, you cannot fully cover... Color? Cover. Cover another player's carpet. So in what this game is, is an area control game of sorts. If Assam lands on another player's carpet, uh, the um, the contiguous uh, amount of that carpet is paid in coins to uh, the player whose colour it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And you, you keep going until you, uh, until all the carpets are done. Uh, it's a very simple game. I think that's, for me, one of its great charms. Again, this is only from the digital version from Board Game Arena. Very simple. Um, I really feel the word elegant is overused. But it is kind of elegant in its simplicity. Now, why do I think the word elegant is overused? Because I have issues with I have issues with the words elegance and simplicity in terms of game design. And I think just because sometimes it's used for shorthand of going, it's not complicated and therefore that's really good. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of emergent kind of properties in it, I think. I I've played it quite a bit with Jamie and, and some of our our Discord members. And yeah, it's been a real delight, Marrakesh. It's a, it's a lovely little game. And the real version has little uh, proper like sort of fabric car carpets. Fabric carpets yes. you put over the stack on things and just yeah it's just a lovely little game it, it's a lovely little game um i might try and track it down uh but that requires me to probably get rid of some games because i already have too many games 
uh, and I'm not playing them as we talked about. I will I will very quickly add in a second if that's okay. Ian, I'm going to very quickly talk about Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy, which I will say right off the bat, the diplomacy in that doesn't really exist in this version because the main diplomacy things in Dune, the big one, I'll call Big Dune in this instance, has been taken out. It is much more of a skirmish game. Troops can move quicker. Uh, troops can move further. I, I have seen a lot of people say there is very little point in playing it. To which I would agree in many regards. Dan, Th- Dan Thoreau was not kind to it recently. Dan Thoreau was not kind. I did see that. He said, uh, what was it like reading an abridged version of Dune? So why would you, why would yeah. you play it? Like, why would you read an abridged version of the book Dune? Which, let's not get into some of the literary qualities of Dune. I love it. I know there's problems. Yeah. I, however, enjoy it. F- I enjoy Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy, mini Dune, I will call it for this. Because I think in some ways it's slightly more accessible for people. Because if you want to play Big Dune, there's this idea that you need several hours. We saw the most recent world record attempt for the longest continuous board game play, 85 hours. Now, that wasn't just one game of Dune. That was multiple games, of course. But there's still an idea. You need a long time to play Big Dune. Whereas Dune Dune Conquest, that's what I'm going to call it. Sorry, not Mini Dune. Yeah. That's what I've been calling it. Dune Conquest strips out a lot of it. It leaves behind a skeleton of it. Does it evoke the spirit of the original Dune? Very, very faintly. I think it is a good way to get people interested in playing Big Dune without overloading them with some uh, of the mechanics that may initially kind of throw some people off. There's a lot to be said for accessibility in games. Like we're talking about like Marrakesh there is a very light game and it's it's a cool way into sort of like that area control kind of mechanic. And yeah, like I think more people play New June or whatever you want to call it than will play Big June just because it doesn't require that time commitment that but at the same time, as adults don't have. Yeah, but I think, yeah, there'll be some people, there'll still be a, a vocal majority oh, who will go, it's... It's not Big Dune, so why would you play it? It's a, it's a husk of what it was. And yeah, in many regards it is, but I think in some ways that's to its credit to get people interested in it. And as I said, I have both. I, I don't feel like I need both, but I think I need Dune Conquest to pl- with some friends to then go, well, now, I, now I've got your attention. Why don't we play Big Dune? And while we've got your attention, we'd just like to give a little shout out to our lovely patrons, especially our newest patron, uh, Gavin Jones, who's coming in at the team member level. Gavin's a member of our Discord, so thank you very much for giving us a little bit of money each month, Gavin. Much appreciated. Also to our executive producers, James Naylor and Sean Newman. Uh, we will link to all of James and Sean's bits and pieces in the show notes. And there are various ways to support us on the site. Uh, we'll put a link to all those in the show notes. Before we go, though, Jamie, it's one more time. Jostle them, boys. Jostle, boys, which is my phrase. No, it wasn't my phrase. It was a phrase our friend David took for Fall Guys. Now, you remember remember 2020? Some people would rather they didn't for various reasons. But around August 2020, a game called Fall Guys was released from Mediatonic, now owned by Epic Games. Best way to describe it? Oh, I don't know. Takeshi's Castle meets... It's a knockout. With cute jelly beans as the playable characters in a ridiculous level of um, levels. <laughs> That's so weird. But of course, it's time 
for Fall Guys Monopoly. Oh, yes. I I really enjoyed Fall Guys. I've kind of not played it very much recently. But you will go from the veritable fun of the veritable fun. You will go from the uh, <laughs> the aggravation and lemming train of DoorDash all the way to the OG Danger Mountain itself, Fall Mountain, trying to grab that crown. But it's also Monopoly, and every turn, a die will be rolled to determine where random events might happen on the board. That might be more kudos, the Fall Guy equivalent of money, or actually placing obstacles on the board to try and stop your opponents. There's actually physical little kind of traps and obstacles you need to put on the board over and around properties, including the fan-favourite Big Yeetus, named by the community, a huge hammer that knocks players over. There's also a moving wall and seesaw-style obstacles. Now, every time you pass go, you're going to get a crown. Of course, crown's what you get for winning Fall Guys rounds, but each crown in this game is going to be worth 10,000 kudos points. Quite simply, whoever has the most kudos points at the end is the winner. There are worse things. We've reported on probably worse things. This is a bit ridiculous. I quite enjoy that they've changed it to uh, to add some physical obstacles. A lot of it's been stripped out, though. There's no, chan- there's no chance cards. There's no community chest. There's no uh, facilities. So instead, it's collecting... Oh, there's also no railway stations, actually. Uh, instead, it's either rolling for kudos or paying or receiving kudos. Again, money. Well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. I know this has been a bit of a shorter cast than usual, but it has been a very quiet couple of weeks in the world of board game news. If you like what you've listened to all the same, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast around. And please do drop us a review and rain on iTunes. That really, really helps and is completely free to do. Uh, you can also follow us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're mostly active on Twitter these days, but the place where we chat the most is our Discord, and there'll be an invite to that in the show notes. Please do come along and play games with us, chat about the news, share the things you love, and uh, chat to our lovely community. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye for now. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.